This is High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders. We interview senior level baby boomers who share their stories, insights, and how-tos for the emerging leadership of millennials. Our mission is to celebrate their accomplishments in aid and preserving their business knowledge. I'm your host, Chris Williams. Hey, and welcome to another episode of High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders. As you know, every single week we have done some incredible things. Season two is here. We are taking it up another notch. You are learning from even more people. We got some great surprises coming up this season. So without further ado, let me tell you about a company called CFO Systems. Well, this system and this company is pretty unique because they focus on timeshare leadership for the middle market. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you know that you need a CFO or a controller or HR directors, this company has some of the best and brightest talent. They right now have 35 different directors serving 110 clients and they are a fast growing company. But more importantly, they're effective for companies like yours. I am talking about CFO systems and I've had the privilege of interviewing the CEO, Brett Freevert. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Brett, because he's a very interesting person. And more importantly, he really feels passionate about the knowledge gap between millennials and baby boomers and what should happen. He has very interesting insights. So I want you to listen to my interview, episode 32 with Brett Freevert, the CEO of CFO Systems. Take a listen. How are you, Brett? Doing well. Good morning, Chris. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. So, Brett, what I would like to do is, if you don't mind, feel free to share with the audience a little bit about your background, your company, what it is that you do. And what I would like to do is once you do that, um, I would love if you would be willing to not only just do that, but then, you know, let's let's kind of talk about and give give our audience a little bit of background and, and history and just just some understanding about uh, not only just your, your your company, kind of where you came from, but more importantly, I would like for everybody to be able to truly understand um kind of where not only you just you've come from, but, you know, what was your experience like uh, going through corporate America and then one day deciding, you know what, I think this is going to be something that I'm going to venture out to do. And, you know, one day being able to, you know, run my own company and then eventually you were able to do it. And I just think it's a it's a it's a great thing and it's an awesome thing. So uh, feel free to uh, just share your background. You bet. Thanks, Chris. Uh, so my background, my career, my resume starts pretty typically, fairly traditional accounting student in middle America. Um, I joined what at that time was the Big Eight. I joined the Deloitte organization in the mid-80s, and I was very, very fortunate to have numerous good mentors, people that that taught me well, led me well. Fortunately, I did have a work ethic um, deeply ingrained in, in me by my Depression-era grandmother, um, and I, I, at Deloitte, I had phenomenal clients. I worked with Fortune 100s. I worked with small nonprofits and a wide range in between. So I spent seven years at Deloitte working with people, organizations like Berkshire Hathaway, ConAgra, um, IBP, uh, and also the local Girl Scouts Council and a number of insurance companies. So after seven years, um, I took a, the fairly traditional route of the of the 
big audit, big four auditor and joined a client of mine. Uh, I was going through some serious transition. I became the uh, joined the accounting department during an IPO process. Um, we went through an IPO, a demutualization. We did a tremendous, had a tremendous run of uh, M&A, doing a lot of uh, the smaller company roll-ups, and then switched to the other side of the desk and sold ourselves into a large organization, which then put me out on the, the job market, and I joined um, uh, a company called First Data, which actually processes the vast majority of the credit card transactions across America and, and a lot of the world. Uh, First Data, same thing. I was able to somehow be identified as, as worthy of a mentor, and of all things, the CEO of the organization was also a Deloitte alum. He somewhat took me under his wing. I was only there for a couple of short years, but he took me under his wing, uh, did some phenomenal mentoring, tapped me as the guy to go to Europe for an interim stint um, take the, and take the position as CFO of First Data Europe um, during year-end audit process, um, budget planning forecast process, as well as interviewing and helping to recruit and interview and find my replacement over there, which which really started laying some of the groundwork for where CFO systems operate now. Um, after that, I stepped into a, a true full-time CFO position, also very, very key in that this, this last job that I had back in 0203, 2004, was a smaller $20 million, 50-employee uh, real estate organization that, that was in stress. Um, and after six or nine months, we really had a lot under control, and they just didn't need a full-time CFO, which really helped me crystallize, okay, there is, there's a real need out here for true CFO leadership in these middle market, lower middle market organizations, those 20, 30, 40 million dollar organizations. And since there, but this was spring, summer of 2004, there wasn't really such a service out there. Um, so I did the very traditional approach. I went through the interview process, got a number of job offers. Everyone was pretty much the same. Phenomenal organization, work elbow to elbow with the, the founder, leader, the entrepreneur. Um, and as it was described, really dig into the details. And when I pursue that, what does that mean? The answer is, well, you know, you work with the, the founder, the CEO, you're the CFO, you get to you work with the investors, with the private equity groups, with the bankers, but you also have to do payroll and accounts payable and general ledger entries and, and reconciliations. And I thought, you know what, there's a lot cheaper way, a lot more cost-effective way to do that, and frankly, I don't really want to do payroll and accounts payable and bank recs anymore. That was something I did early, early on. Um, so I politely declined the offers, um, parted ways with the real estate company, hung out my shingle, and went out to tell the, the market that I was launching a, a new service, uh, Timeshare CFO. And... Um, Got a lot of head scratches, a lot of sideways glances, a lot of pats on the back with uh, assurance that, well, that might work pretty well until you get a job. And being 
maybe somewhat stubborn, some would describe, but also just I knew that there was a, a real need out there. I had seen it. I would lived it in the real estate company. I would seen it through the interviews. Um, I could go back to my public accounting days, and I knew that there were a lot of these smaller organizations that, that could really benefit from a true CFO, but in no way did they need a full-time CFO? No way do they need a, could they afford a full-time CFO, true CFO? So I stuck to my guns. Uh, it actually took about two weeks before I got my first client, um, about six weeks when a banker friend referred in one of his clients. And um, within three months, I was up to a team of two with uh, three clients. And by uh, the end of our first year, we had a team of three and about eight clients, and um, it just continued to grow from there. And now we're to a team of 35 um, across the greater Midwest from the Mississippi to the Rockies. We also have just expanded into the New York metro area. Um, we'll be expanding into the West Coast this spring, and the the market is there. The the other thing that has helped us a lot is there are CFO type of organizations in nearly every metro market. So what we do now with our 35 people, we've got about 110 clients. We provide what we call um, timeshare leadership. We provide the CFOs, the controllers, the HR directors to those those same clients that that uh, that I saw and interviewed with 13 years ago. Um, somebody that has started an organization, built it to beyond the small business, but truly to that middle market, lower middle market, uh, somebody that might have 10 to 20 to 200 employees, somebody that might have 10 to 20 to 500 million in revenue, and they would truly benefit from some professional leadership, but they really don't need it all day, every day. And they have a good team, a good accounting team, um, possibly a good HR team, but they really need that leadership. The advantage to the people on the team is, much as I was was uh, cringing in 2004 going through the interviews, our, the people on our team can be a CFO all day, every day, five or six days a week. And they can work with three or four or five different companies. They can see a variety of industries. Uh, as we say, we, we work with everything from daycare to cattle feeders, construction companies, manufacturing, any industry across the Midwest. We've got some experience, some expertise in, and um, we like our team to see a variety. And that's CFO Systems in a nutshell. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, what's fascinating you're about there, your, your. Yes, absolutely. So what's really fascinating about your journey and how you've gotten to where you've gotten uh, as as I listen to um, kind of how you've uh, made the made the pivot and the shift is at some point you kind of noticed the need. Uh, as you said, that, you know, you could see that some of these, you know, smaller to mid-sized companies could really use uh, a CFO. They could they could really leverage, you know, the expertise and and the and the and the really the just the knowledge of, of how to truly uh, be able to sit in that particular space. So I, I'm interested when when you when you noticed that there was that need that was sitting there and you felt like, you know what, I could really, you know, uh, help other people and companies fulfill that need. 
what was kind of the, 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 I guess the, the bright spot moment that you had that you said, you know what, I think, I, I think I found kind of, kind of how we can service clients and, and what the niche is for us. What was that for you? Um, that's a heck of a good question. I don't know that there was any one great aha moment. I mean, keep in mind and visualize me back in 2003-2004. I'm a I'm a young corporate CPA controller CFO making pretty darn good money, four young kids, and and I just had that fire in my belly that Oh, that distaste in my mouth. I don't want to go be an employee again. Part of what I had done the the past several years, the the, the last several years of of my um, employee career was move from position to position, always in a in an effort to or with an opportunity to clean something up, to make it better, to build something, and hand it off. And that's what I really enjoyed. And so as I was sitting in, in, in that summer of 2004 and pondering, what kind of job do I really want? Do I really want a job? Do I really have the courage to say, no thanks? And uh, do I have the, uh, the confidence in my idea to, to really launch something new and completely different? And, oh, boy, what if it doesn't work? Um, and, and so, the, you know, those, those last couple of days, that, those, that first week or two of uh, being on my own, so to speak, sitting in the, in the office above my garage, banging out emails, describing um, this, this new and unheard of service to people that I knew, people that knew me, people that had worked with me, hired me, uh, referred me in, in years past to describe this, this something completely new and different to them, took some serious, um, many serious gut checks. And, and the first big aha, that, or the big relief, I guess, would be um, two weeks into it when a, a friend of mine hired me, engaged me to, uh, to build a a five-year forecast for his company. He called and he said, "You know what? We're uh, we need a forecast. Are you very good at this?" And I said, "Actually, it's one of my real strengths is to build some good, flexible models." And so that and so I picked up that first client and and somehow had the the knowledge that okay, I can't focus entirely on this one. I need to keep fishing, if you will. I've landed one and I need to make sure I get it handled properly. But there's got to be another one because this is not long live. This is a fairly short project. And then when the banker brought his um, medical client to me and I could see that okay, this this is this too isn't a terribly hard problem, and we can get through it fairly quickly. Um, and probably the big deep sigh of relief was when a lawyer friend brought his his um, uh, financial client to us or to me. There was a um, uh, an equipment leasing company here in Nebraska that was under some stress, and uh, lawyer friend brought it to me, and and it be, and it became really that landmark client that okay, here's something that will take fifty to sixty percent of my time. It'll um, cover the overhead, cover the bills, uh, you know, put food on the table, 
and give me a, that that base to go out and build a business. So that was probably the biggest one. And then I still had those those misgivings and doubts creeping in at night in a hotel in a small town in middle Nebraska. Of, okay, what am I doing here? Is this really going to work? Geez, I was uh, by most most counts um, I was on the the good track to corporate leadership, and here I am. Uh, again, four young kids sitting at home, and I'm I'm out uh, following a dream. Does this really make sense? And there were plenty of recruiters calling, plenty of other job opportunities, and um, I, I just had to keep following the dream. Um, turned over to a higher power, and more clients just kept coming in the door, and that was really that. Probably, Chris, as much as anything, might have been the real aha moment that spring and summer of 05 when people just kept bringing their clients and they'd say, hey, you know what, I think Brett can help you. Hey, you know what, you need to talk to these guys. Hey, you know what, (laughs) Uh, I know a guy. And and that that was probably, as I think through it, that was probably the real aha moment. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and I'm sure, you know, um, more, more than most that, uh, sometimes the, the confidence comes from the repeat and the new business. Um, when someone can say that, yep, I need it, I'm willing to pay for it. (laughs) And so that, that's really, really great. So the, the, the great thing about, um, what you've been able to do is you've been able to persevere and you've been able to take something from concept uh, all the way through and actually build a a business. So I know that in 2016, uh, you've been able to build your company to hit the uh, Fortune 5000. You've been able to do in revenue about 4.6 million. So here's my question. I'm, I'm interested in learning as you've been building not only your company, but you, you, you've not only built the company, you built a family, you've been able to see kind of the trends that are happening in the workspace. Share with, with me and our audience, how do you see the millennials, especially that 25 to 35 uh, age group of, of millennials? How do you see the, the impacts that it's had on even your industry. And, and, and more importantly, I, I think what I'm intrigued by based on, on the company that you've built is when did you first start to notice that something was a little different in, in, in the work environment? And it was, it was, it was what the millennial was. When bringing. did I start to notice the difference in the work environment? You know, Chris, I'm in a little bit, everybody probably says this, but I'm in a little bit different situation in that, I was born in the fall of 62, so I was right at the tail end of the baby boomers, right at the very early, maybe just before the millennials. I I had a strong influence from my uh, Depression-era grandmother that told me probably every week about the um, of what it was like before and after the depression and and uh, the struggles and the sacrifices and and the hard work, and and yet I was able to to make a good career, um, partly by working super hard for the very stereotypical baby boomers in public accounting and, and um, corporate headquarters. Then fast forward, and I've got a couple of, uh, my two oldest daughters are right smack dab in the middle of the millennial uh, 
the time frame. My oldest is 27. My second one is 24. And I watch them, and I, and I read the millennial articles, and I look at my daughters, and I think, well, they act a lot more like baby boomers than they do millennials. And so one thing I, I've seen personally is we can't really stereotype an entire generation, much like we can't really stereotype and generalize an, an entire population of, of any sort. And that's probably been one of the things that I've seen as much as anything is we can take millennials and baby boomers on an individual by individual basis and and there are traits the you know the generalization traits coming from each and uh, and at the same time now and keep in mind we build not only CFO systems but we've built dozens upon dozens of client companies so we have an advantage of seeing not only those in our firm but those in our clients firms and we do see a lot of the stereotype we see the the baby boomers and and hear the conversations of yeah no i don't want to come in early for that meeting um no i don't really want to do that um you know why would we do that couldn't we do it a different way you know what? <laughs> right. This might this right. might be a better, faster way to do it. <laughs> and and the interesting thing for me has been how many billions of dollars have have corporations paid over these past thirty years to get feedback like that, similar to that, from the consultants. I mean, go, go to any of the top ten, top twenty consulting firms. They've built billions of dollars to get people to tell them, well, here's something you shouldn't really be doing. Here's tasks that don't need to be done. Here's a way That's to a do it point. better. That's a great and now, point. And now we suddenly have these, these young, energetic, well-educated, super intelligent people in here on our payroll telling us the same thing for a fraction of the cost. And you have these baby boomers complaining and saying, those doggone millennials, you know, they 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 don't want to do this. They don't want to they don't want to just buckle down and do grunt work, um, and and it's not clicking with the baby boomer management and executives. For a fraction of the price, you're getting a lot of the same advice you were paying these consultants for these last thirty years. That's that's, you know, now that is an interesting perspective, Brett. So so uh, I'm interested because that that gets us to uh, another uh, point that I hear a lot of people making on both sides. I, I hear millennials say this and I hear baby boomers say this, but it's this it's this two word thing that we're always uh, providing a, a perspective about. And that's hard work. Uh, baby boomers have a very different opinion of what hard work looks like. A millennial will tell you what their version of hard work looks like. Brett, I'm interested. Has, has your definition of hard work changed the, the, the longer you've, you've been in a seat of influence and you've seen uh, both sides of kind of the table? What, what does that definition look like to you? And, and do you feel like uh, the, the, there's room for the, the the version of what the millennial says hard work um, is. The answer to the second question, is there room for the, the version that the millennial has of, of hard work, is absolutely yes. Um, again, what I've seen, the, the, the definition of hard work 
20 years ago, 30 years ago was uh, put on your coat, your tie, come into the office. Even if there's nothing to do, you get, you got to come in, you got to sit there, you got to um, you got to grind it out. You know, we 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 especially again in in big public accounting, we took it as a as a badge of honor that we work 70 hours a week and we got stuff um, done that was really hard. And there are corporations that. Um, that also wore it as a badge of courage that, by gosh, their people work five and a half days a week, and, and uh, whether there was anything to do on Saturday or whether you missed uh, kids' soccer games and what have you. And so you look at that and you say, okay, that really wasn't all that healthy. And now you look at the, the, the millennials and actually some of the Gen X folks too and say, hard work can really start – Prior to the task, if you will, hard work should start with, okay, what are we trying to do here? Not what are we trying to, uh, how are we trying to do it, but what are we trying to accomplish? What's the end goal of this project, this task, this, even as something as, as seemingly menial as paying bills? So what's, what's the goal of an accounts payable department. Well, it's to document, it's to process, it's to, you know, it's to make it hard, it's to satisfy the auditors. You can only imagine how many billions of dollars are wasted in corporate America in a misguided effort to, quote, satisfy the auditors. Wow. Whereas a millennial mindset will be, wait a minute, all we're trying to do, and this is oversimplification, but all we're trying to do is get product in the door and pay the people that provided it. And if I can do that in 60 seconds, do I really need to spend five minutes on it? If I can handle all of these through an automated system, and look, I I even know how to build it for you. Why would you expect me to spend 45 hours a week doing this if I could do it in seven? Because what I see out there in clients now is somewhat the, you know, I'm probably in as much of a mood to talk about the, the, the problems with the baby boomer generation and the unwillingness of that traditional stereotypical baby boomer controller when perhaps I and a millennial We'll say, all right, let's take a look at the AP process. Why do we do it this way? And the controller might say, how many accounting departments do you know that don't do it this way? You know, we have to make it hard. It's accounting. It's the auditors. No, no, no. There there really is a much better, often safer way to do it than the way you did it in 1992. So I see the, the millennials really creating, again, I'll go back to that, that, that early conversation. The millennials are, are really creating the efficiency, the streamlining, the fresh new ideas that corporate America has paid billions for in the past. And, and, you know, that is something that I, that I, I really think Brett, we, we could, um, stand to learn from. I I think all of us, no matter what generation you come from, but I I do think, I I love how you said that there are efficiencies that 
you know, that are being brought to the table and ideas. I also believe that um, and I'm sure you've seen this um, in your world. I, I've, I've seen it before as not only just an employee, but as a as an employer in, 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 in doing any venture that I've ever stepped out to do. There are people who, if we can just be honest, they're successful at making things difficult. <laughs> and <laughs> and I think that there's there's a lot of churn in money in that. And it's not necessarily uh, a stereotypical thing of someone who is stuck in their ways and who just doesn't want to change. I think sometimes uh, it takes uh, a few brave souls <laughs> who are willing to say, hey, that's not the best way anymore. And just because that's the way it is doesn't mean we have to keep doing it that way. And so you mentioned the the idea about the. The, the baby boomers who might be in senior leadership at this time, no matter what the company is, no matter how large the company is, who may be a, uh, a, a bit resistant to to that change. Or I won't even say the change. I think it's more so to your point, a resistant to the ideas coming from someone younger than them, um, much younger, even probably potentially uh, their child's age younger than them. Right. So. I'm interested in your perspective on how, how would you suggest a a a CFO, a CTO, a, a CEO, uh, a leadership team begin to break that that stereotype, maybe or even that pattern in their own lives to be able to be open to ideas from a younger uh, emerging audience inside of their own companies. Um, you know, that may be our our golden ticket of the next 10 years, Chris, if we figure that one out. My, my thought would be that those of us in the, in the management seats, in the executive seats, really need to, to step back, be somewhat humble, show some respect, you know, the, the, Kids, I'll use a, 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 a poor phrase, poor sounding phrase, but the kids, the millennials that have the energy and have the ideas, what would it look like if we were to sit in the, in the chair and put them up at the, at the wall, at the whiteboard and say, okay, tell me what you're thinking. Show me. How would that work? And, and ask open-ended I want to learn type of questions and instead of the, well, no, that wouldn't work. Listen, you got to know how you need to understand how we've always done it. And, and if we were to physically, psychologically, mentally put ourselves back into the, the, the classroom, if you will, put us back into the student seat and think about, and, and it, maybe it sounds corny, but think about, what it was like when we were 23 and coming out of school. We didn't just naturally learn, or we didn't just naturally know, look, you got to put your head down, you got to bang the tin key for 12, 13 hours a day, you got to write stuff down, you got to erase it. You know, somebody taught us how to do it, what at that time was probably a pretty decent way. And, and now the interesting thing is, instead of being the teacher or the professor or the, the, the person at the front of, of the 
of the room teaching the, the young students how to do it, we probably need to put ourselves back into that student role and say, hmm, all right, you've got a lot of ideas, show me. Well, let's walk through it. Because it seems like what it could do, one, you end up with a, a, a different process, a much better process, hopefully much more efficient. Secondly, you really, one of your later questions, we're going to talk about uh, developing leaders. Think of what that does to the millennial um, or any worker, anybody, um, to their confidence and their ability, their their professional development. Say, okay, I've got the CEO, the controller, the CFO. I've got the executive team here. I've got my AP manager, and they want me to stand up and show them, tell them how we could do this so much better. That, that takes a lot of courage, but uh, also a lot of uh, it'll cr- provide a lot of professional development to, to that person and again I look at it maybe somewhat frugally or cynically and I think all right we're spending billions of dollars on training and development and what have you on the on the younger workers why don't we just let them stand up and teach us old dogs new tricks and develop them that way. No, wouldn't that wouldn't that be that, so much more efficient? You know, and and I I believe that we are probably having some people are probably having those questions, uh, and and probably you know looking for those those answers. But you know, uh, I think also Brett on on the other side of that, somebody may say, well, you know that sounds great, but we don't have any room for failure. We we can't we can't afford to to just allow inexperienced to lead us. What would you say to that? Well, I'd say a couple of things. One, um, everybody has room for failure. Um, success is not guaranteed no matter, no matter what you do. Um, there's, there's always an opportunity for failure. And secondly, I would say that that comment, that thought process probably illustrates a lot of the, the issue, the challenge that, we you know we don't have room for failure and what which kind of then is the un unspoken version of look we can't let these young people in to be in charge and making decisions because we're going to fail it takes it takes a grizzled old, experienced old baby boomer to make the right decisions now i will also point out that what i did not say is give them the keys turn over the keys to the kingdom and say tell me what you're going to do it was right. Stand, stand up here and tell me your idea. Explain to me what what your idea is, what your recommendation is, how we would go about it. What are the challenges we would run into? What would you know? And let, let's go ahead and create together or explain to us uh, your project plan. And and guess what? I am still the CFO, the CEO, the AP manager, whatever the title may be. But by gosh, I know that in five years, there's going to be this many fewer, 10, 20% fewer workers. And if the company continues to grow, we're going to be processing 50% more invoices. How am I going to do this? You, get up here, tell me how. Well, that wraps up another great episode, episode 32 of High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders. Listen, 
Brett shared some really interesting insights and his journey is incredible. The company's journey is incredible. More importantly, he is an incredible person. And as you know, this is only part one, but you will get part two in two days as usual. Now, this is season two, so we're kicking it up a notch. I want you to help us continue to spread the word. Whether you're a CEO who enjoys the content of what we're doing or whether you're a millennial in your career and you're looking to go to the next level, help us share this with other folks. You can do that very simply through social media. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at High Level Wisdom, or you can simply share our website with folks, highlevelwisdom.com. Very, very simple. Also, keep in mind that coming up in the next episode, you're going to hear uh, some more insights from Brett breaking down and kind of decoding this whole millennial and and uh, relationship and career and moving forward. But I also want you to pay attention to how he sees uh, millennials continuing to be able to take even roles that he even offers to companies just like yours, becoming the next CEFO or the controller or HR directors in your companies and what you can do to play a part. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'll catch you in the next episode. Now, CEOs and HR directors, I want you to listen up. You know what it's like to be able to try to scale your business and take it to the next level. And sometimes you're looking for the great fit of a CFO. Well, there's a company that can help you do that and not only do that, but be able to ensure that they help you with their simple model of providing the level and quality of financial leadership you need. CFO Systems provides leadership to middle market companies and small businesses throughout North America. They serve the clients and interim and timeshare CFOs, controllers, and HR directors, providing expertise and experience you need on your schedule. Visit CFOSystemsLLC.com. That's CFOSystemsLLC.com. Hey, as a leader, you know how important it is to think about the future. But is your executive leadership team so focused on the present that it's hard to even think beyond the next six months? Well, insert Serendipity Interactive. We bring strategy to life by helping executives make fortunate discoveries for their business by focusing on the future while they maintain their present. If you're ready to make your own fortunate discovery today, visit serendipityinteractive.com. That's serendipityinteractive.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.